Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 285 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 19 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by Romain Grosjean's newest number one fan, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris. I've always liked the salad, but now I like the driver. Oh, look at that. I, I just, you know, the only thing that keeps Grosjean from perfection for me is that he's French and not French-Canadian. And I guess he's actually technically Swiss. I don't, it gets a little complicated. He's definitely on the French side of Swiss. Anyway, I, it, anyway it is Tuesday morning, May 18th. Chris and I are going to talk about the last three IndyCar races. And um, I also have a interview quick chat with three-time Indianapolis, wow, let me try that again, three-time Indianapolis 500 winner, Helio Castro Neves. All right, Chris, where do you want to start? Turning left and left again. <laughs> and just, just keep turning left and never stop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, who, who wasn't there? Jimmy Johnson. We should start right there because in just in bizarre twists, the only race that Jimmy Johnson competed in was the uh, Indianapolis, uh, the GMR, GMR Grand Prix, as it's known, but the race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway mo- road course. That was the only place where Jimmy Johnson was, not at Texas, which is a one-and-a-half-mile oval, which was a doubleheader, which is two of the three races we were going to cover. I think some of his sponsors may claim that he hasn't been present at all five races so far. <laughs> well, <laughs> here's the irony. So... I, I just uh, I watched uh, race highlights on YouTube, uh, Motorsports NBC YouTube channel, and all of the commercials, I, I think for all three of the YouTube highlights videos, all three of them, all the ads were Jimmy Johnson doing a Carvana ad. So here we are. Commercially, he's still a great bet, even though... I, well, I'm sure we're going to talk about it just a little bit more. When it comes to the actual racetrack performance, he's not putting his best foot forward. Yeah, he's struggling in an Indy car, isn't he? Maybe it's it's he's getting mesmerized by those open wheels in front of him, but something something's not quite working at the moment. Well, I think he's just like, it's just so light and fast. How could I be slow? This is going so fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, the issue the issue is there's so many good rookies as well, aren't there? I mean, there's a lot a lot going on this season. Uh, we've had five different winners in five races, and we've had some some younger younger drivers um, stepping up. So the competition is is probably greater than it than it has been for a long time in IndyCar. Competition's fantastic, and that's competition amongst the drivers, amongst the teams, as it's not just the big teams that are bringing home winners. And uh, also amongst the engine manufacturers, you know, it's been very tight between Honda and Chevrolet. So, uh, you know, there's there's been a lot of really good racing going on. And it it's weird to me how so much, like, at a high level, so much of what Formula One is and IndyCar is, is similar. And yet, I can't help but having my attention drawn to the differences. Like, it feels weird to me to see a fuel, fuel nozzle going into the back of the car. And I'm like, it's, it's every time I see it, I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> it's, it's just funny how those little changes can stick with you, especially when there are so many, so many similarities, including the names you're hearing when you're, when you're hearing IndyCar coverage versus Formula One. I mean, Juan Pablo Montoya 
was at the most recent race. Obviously, Romain Grosjean and several others, right? So it's just it's been it's been bizarre to follow IndyCar and see weirdly how much overlap there is. Yeah, but the clues are that the names that you're you're hearing that overlap between the two racing series um, are at different ends of the field. So, I mean, <laughs> how many pole, pole positions did Ramon Grosjean get in Formula One? Uh, it's a round number and it's zero. He did get a few podiums, to be fair, but uh, but not too many poles. And same with the likes of Ericsson and Chilton. So, yeah, now, don't some forget, similarities there. Mm-hmm. It's an American pronunciation now, so it's Rahmane Grosjean. <laughs> I'm just going to stick with Big John. Big John. Big John. I I, I quite like Big John. And honestly, so uh, we'll we'll just, this is, well, Romain Grosjean, he was on um, Off the Grid recently, the podcast, Formula One podcast. And he was talking about how he had a big RV vacation with his family (laughs) leading up to the first IndyCar race in Alabama. And I was just like, really? And he was talking about, Drive along a 42-foot camper, which I think is kind of his, his home when he's out racing. And I'm thinking to myself, man, you're jumping in. You're jumping right into American racing, just uh, the full nine yards, we can say. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's traveling back and forth across the Atlantic quite a lot, isn't he? He's not fully based in, in the States. So a lot of European drivers will come and immediately uh, set up a home in Florida and enjoy enjoy the good life. He seems to be still wed on on uh, some european uh, existence but yeah going the whole hog with the full rv and living in that while you're this side of the pond that's especially with children that's a brave move <laughs> exactly right but that's so the way he described it is when he travels to and from europe he's taking a backpack with him so he he has a temporary home in that in that rv so he's not it's not like he's Max Chilton would literally Sunday evening be on a plane. At least that was the case a couple of years ago when I interviewed him. Uh, Romain is staying for chunks and then coming home for chunks, as I understand it. Well, I mean, you brought up Chilton. I mean, I was quite amused to read that uh, he missed the last race because Carlin, I guess, all jumped on a plane on Sunday evening and then they realized they didn't have the car ready in time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, you know... I, the, the Chilton, it's just to say, I mean, because Chris Chilton is, as I understand it, a pretty epic BTCC guy, right? British touring car. And uh, so it's so funny that Max went, got to these like upper levels of international racing, but the reputation he's establishing is not a good one. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a little harsh. I, I agree with you. He doesn't strike me as a stellar racing driver, but I don't think he's as bad as he's being made to look. I think Carlin is struggling. As oh, but uh, well, hold uh, on. As, I I don't mean to interrupt, but I, mm-hmm. I I'm not trying to be overtly harsh. But my point is is that his brother is a multi champion, yeah, and mm-hmm. he's at upper levels, but in Formula One and in IndyCar just the same he's he's struggled quite a lot and he tends to be towards the back yeah that's a, that's true I, I you know i you'd have to see him in a competitive indy car is all i'm saying to really make that judgment but i don't think uh if he jumped into a ganassi he'd become a race winner overnight right well and that's just it i mean let's talk about what it means to be in a competitive indy car you know romain is racing for dale coin now dale coin has been in indy car racing for a while um he 
you know, Sebastian Bourdais won races with Dale Coyne um, in IndyCar. But while Dale Coyne is one of the established teams, he's certainly not one of the big teams. And what it means to be a race winner in IndyCar is very different than what it means to be a race winner in Formula One. And so Carlin is struggling. I'm certainly not trying to downplay that. But my point is, is that it doesn't take the same level and budget and personnel to be able to make a race winning IndyCar. And just as you, as you just said, it was, it's, we've had five different drivers winning the first five races. Yeah, I think that's all true. I think there is an innate knowledge that exists within the top teams, right? And, and so you have some really experienced crew chiefs and, and guys that know how to set these cars up at the, the various tracks. And unless you can tap into that, it takes a, it takes a while for you to, to get there. I think, you know, you have to learn the hard way, don't you, by just <laughs> doing uh, multiple races over multiple seasons. And, and Carlin is still at the early stages of that. I think that's exactly right. So um, we had uh, just really briefly... Um, at, at Barber Motorsports Park, it was Alex Palau who won the race. Uh, Streets of St. Petersburg, that was Colton Herta, and we had a little fun talking about is Herton Formula One bound now. Um, for these races... Oh, I've got news on that. I've got news on that. No, he's he, not. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> he's just re-signed a contract at the end of 23 uh, with his sponsor, um, and so he is not F1 bound, that's for sure. I think that was a Mario Andretti tactic to to encourage the sponsor to pony up more money, to be honest, and it worked a treat. <laughs> well, it's entirely possible. And, I mean, truthfully, I don't think... I think it was just... I don't think Colton had any real interest in Formula One and in the first place. I think he's quite content racing any cars. And it was just, just as you said, Mario Andretti just having a little fun and getting a couple headlines. But it was still a fun talking point, right? Because he is young and all those things. Anyway, when, when we got to Texas, that was May 1st and May 2nd, um, Scott Dixon, the reigning IndyCar champion and current um, championship leader this year, he won the first night's race. And then on the second, uh, that was Pato Award, and we had a nice little chat about Award having some fun with his boss at McLaren about getting a Formula One test uh, out of winning uh, in IndyCar because he's with uh, um, McLaren Arrow. And then the most recent race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course was with uh, a very young Dutchman, Renus VK, who uh, who beat Romain Grosjean to the checkered flag. So we've now had, as I mentioned, five different winners in five races, four of which are under 25 years old. So the rookies, or the, 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 the less experienced drivers, are stepping up and they're taking the chances. I mean, Award in particular in Texas was, was pretty aggressive. Um, and um, <laughs> he was yeah. quite quite aggressive. I mean, yeah, and he, he was took, out there. He, and he, you know, he earned the win. I mean, passing Joseph Newgarden around that oval, which had a very tight line, didn't it? Not a that you couldn't get up on the on the NASCAR um, asphalt yeah. uh, was 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 impressive. And and you know, the fact that uh, between those two and Rahel, they managed to dethrone the mighty Dixon, who only came fourth in the second second race at Texas after dominating uh, the first event, uh, was impressive. Well, I, let's talk about that a second. I, I really, really had a bad taste in my mouth about this. They called it a PJ1 surface. So there's something unique about the surface they use, and apparently that aids uh, the cup cars, the NASCAR cup cars, um, to have better racing, that the higher portions of the track 
going around the ovals have this different material on the high side of the course. But it took away grip from the proper race cars, from the Indy cars. And so here we are. We have, it just, it looked so Mickey Mouse to me, and it added danger, and it's an oval with, you know, it's a one and a half mile oval, but it's highly banked, so it's very quick. And I I really did not like the fact, it's like, why are you going to Texas and doing a double header, no less, at a place where you're only allowed to use the lower half of the track, essentially? I, that, to me, was unnecessary risk taken. I, I, I wasn't comfortable with, and I'll bet you two bottles of gin that uh, Sebastian Bourdais would agree with me because he just had a miserable weekend in Texas, crashing out early, both races, um, neither time really his fault. Uh, it was just disastrous well, he got hit both times. He got hit both times. In, in race one, he got punted from behind. Yep. And in race two, he got punted from behind by different drivers. But yep. uh, yeah, not, not his fault at all. Entirely blameless. Expensive weekend. Uh, for his team, AJ Foyt and, Racing. So, and uh, that's yeah. another small team, absolutely. Another long time, but small team. AJ Foyt, much better driver than team owner, and that's just being blunt about it. I, he's he's been he's been an IndyCar team owner for a long, long time, and he's he's never had a sustainable front running car. Yeah, and the, the person who hit him in the second race was uh, another almost Formula One driver. That was uh, Pietro Fittipaldi, who's showing maybe he should stick to. Road courses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe he and Jimmy Johnson should swap. Maybe that's uh, something to consider. Yeah, it. Um, I agree with you on the, the track surface. That's a very odd one. I've never encountered. I mean, I have raced at Mid Ohio, which I think they've used every type of surface known to mankind in, in, in that track, and it does create some really interesting situations as the grip levels vary uh, throughout each quarter, but. But why wouldn't you just, if you want to change the, the conditions for NASCAR, why don't you just just pave the whole oval? Don't don't create a two-tier grippy surface. Uh, that that is very odd because at least if you if you'd gone for for the NASCAR friendly uh, surface, then and that's consistent across the width of the oval track, then the Indy cars would all have to cope with it, and at least they know the grip levels are going to be consistent. You know whatever line they take. But to have that uh, two-tier surface, which was, you know, obviously visible uh, on on TV, was very curious, and I've never I've never encountered that before. And I agree with you. I'd pick a different oval to go racing next season. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And you know, Texas, I think, is good for sponsorship or something because it's it it doesn't draw big crowds. It doesn't draw big TV audiences, as far as I know. The racing is good, despite what we just talked about but to me it's it's just not worth the risk i mean that track's been notorious for um indy car and champ car and cart before it i mean there's just been there's been issues there over the years several times and i just i'm just not i'm not a fan of it now i understand that coda has its own controversies but i liked the racing at coda uh and i would definitely prefer that over texas motor speedway and that's not even that's not even road course versus oval. That's just one Texas track versus another te- Texas track. That's my point of view. So the first race, I think, was brought to us by the uh, New Zealand Tourist Board, wasn't it? With the, the one-two, <laughs> Dixon and McCoughlin. I mean, what what were those guys drinking the night before? They were on a, in a class of their own, weren't they? Yeah, it was impressive. There's there's no two ways around that. And McLaughlin was was right there 
ready to pounce if Dixon made any kind of mistake, which was cool to see as well. Yeah, and he's the leading rookie now. I mean, he's doing doing pretty well in the championship table after five rounds. What is he, yeah. eighth on 123 points? So, uh, and, and by far the, the leading rookie. So he's having a great season so far. To be fair, he is with a big team. He's with Penske. But mm-hmm. um, but he, he's definitely showing that he was a worthy Penske hire, I think, more than anything. So Pagenau's only got seven points more than he has, and he's, he's outscoring power to the tune of five points right now. So he's right in the mix with the B-class Penske drivers. Obviously, Newgarden heads Penske's challenge so far, but, you know, he's, he's doing justice to the seat, isn't he? Well, Will Power, though, I mean, just... He, Will Power's perpetually fast, but he's he just makes odd mistakes slash gets unlucky. I mean, you put you look at Will Power over a single lap; he's still epically quick. He just he just can't. Will Power is just a poor strategic driver or just a perpetually unlucky one. I'm I'm not even I'm not even trying to put the blame on Will necessarily, but he's still. Over a lap, he's still epically quick. That's the irony of it. Are you saying he doesn't have the staying power in the races? (laughs) (laughs) That is is what I'm uh, insinuating. Exactly right. So, yeah, what did you think of the uh, second Texas race? That one, that that opening, that was like an opening lap six-car incident. That was was what we talked about with um, Bourdais being taken out again. And... That one was just bizarre. That one had um, Derek Daly, another Formula One veteran from long ago. Um, uh, Derek Daly's son, Connor Daly, was upside down for much of that incident. And then uh, the grass actually right-sided his car right at the end for his convenience, which was nice of it. But, uh, you know, that thinned out the back half of the field right away. And we had some, we had some pretty good racing. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of DNFs in, in both of the Texas races. And it looks like there's something something wrong with the wheel bearing or the upright on the Delara, on the, uh, you know, the out rear, out, outboard rear, which is a worrying thing with the Indy 500 on the horizon. So I, I hope we don't have a lot of... Uh, a lot of issues with reliability in the 500. Uh, you know, you want you want you know the 33 car field to all have a fair shake at it, right? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I thought the battle between the top four was fascinating, especially as Dixon had proven to be so strong um, in the Ganassi the day before. Uh, but uh, but Rahal and uh, Newgarden and particularly Award really uh, were up for the battle, weren't they? And and as I'd mentioned earlier, I mean, some of the passing, I mean, Award was a very smart pit, pit stop strategy. I mean, he was very good at the uh, proceeding and post laps to, to be able to jump into the lead or at least jump uh, Rahal and Dixon at his pit stop and then was, was aggressive on the pass with Newgarden. And as you said, I mean, very narrow track <laughs> to make the, get to get the pass done, but he, he did a good job. Yeah, yeah. And, and now it's, he's... It's, a, mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was just going to say, now he has earned that chance to run a McLaren F1 uh, car at the uh, season-ending uh, test in Abu Dhabi. And it's been confirmed that uh, Zach Brown's good for, his, good for his bet. So something you and Zach have in common. You both, both honor your bets. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, uh, you know, Zach and I are longtime friends, blood bloodbloggers. <laughs> we, we, I, I had to talk him through that one. It's interesting that that's taking place, and I'm really happy for Pato. Um, and, you know, the other side of that is uh, 
Graham Rahal, I've interviewed him a couple of times over the years. Super good guy. Super. He's big. I mean, he's he's like six foot two, two hundred pounds. Like he's a he's he's a bulky guy to have in a lightweight formula car. And he's he's another one when he's when he's on it, he's right there and he's a front runner and he's a threat for wins and he has won races over the years. But it's just it they the Ray Hall team can't seem to put it together consistently. And and it's interesting too because uh his teammate Takuma Sato, he's another one that when he's on it, he's right there and Sato put on some great performances um over these last few races, but they can't consistently be at the front. They can't become a Ganaski and Penske, even though they've been in the sport for decades. Yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting. I mean, when you've got the likes of Andretti, who seem to be having a fairly tough season with the exception of, of the win in St. Pete. I mean, Andretti Autosport is not featuring at the sharp end of, of most of these races and hurt is way down intense in the championship standings. Um, so when a team of that strength and, and uh, stature is, is struggling to get results, you know how competitive it is. And uh, and as you mentioned earlier, I mean we've got some of the some of the lesser lights coming to the fore and, and doing doing great jobs at some of these tracks. So it's it's a really it's hard to call who's going to win the championship. I mean somehow Dixon is leading it, even though he hasn't really <laughs> started anything other than one race right now. I mean, but he's he's very good at just hoovering up points, right, and consistent finishes. That's um, exactly. I mean, but, you know, Scott Dixon, just as you said, I mean, he won the first. He won the first Texas Motor Race. He finished fourth in the second one. So that was a very strong weekend for him. He's always right there, and he's always capitalizing on whatever opportunities he gets, even if it's ninth instead of tenth, uh, as opposed to being on the podium or not. Yeah, I mean, but you know, normally we see a lot more Dixon in most races than I think we have this season, right? I mean, he has been fairly well down the order in a couple of the early rounds. Um, but, you know, he's he's bringing it home and scoring the points. And that's what, you know, whereas obviously Newgarden had the DNF in round one, that's hurt him. That's why he's uh, 30-odd points behind. So, um, But, um, I mean, to talk to talk about the, the, the right and left race here, the GMI Indy, I mean, I'm still getting my head around what to call VK because he, he, he runs under a name that isn't his name. Do you understand that? I mean, his name is Van Kaltenhut, but yet we call him VK. Do you, do you know the history behind that? <laughs> well, no, not at all. I, I knew he was Dutch, uh, and that was that was the end of it. I Something tells me... Well, here's what I do know, that he fairly early on, because he's quite young, he fairly early, early on committed to American racing as opposed to attempting Formula One. And the reason he gave was he knew from an early... He's like, I just didn't have the budget to even attempt Formula One racing. Now, there is a path to get into Formula One without having a good budget. Lewis Hamilton is proof of that. But obviously, just statistically speaking, he was like, just the money wasn't there. And so what I'm building up to is he made a commitment to... American racing at a fairly young age and I think wanted to have a more palatable American name for everyone to pronunciate and uh, that's my that's pure speculation but that's my guess yeah I mean I did I wasn't that familiar with the histories of either VK or award I I took a look I mean I, I know what you're saying I mean they both 
they both competed in Indy Lights. Uh, award being champion in 2018 and uh, VK second in 2019. Um, although they, they, I'm not convinced that they are as committed to American racing as you uh, have implied. I mean, so Award did uh, F2 as part of the Red Bull Junior program, um, and um, and then VK actually did an Asian Formula Three championship in 2019 as well, and was was champion that year. So. They hedged their bets a little bit, I think I would say, but um, but they've certainly had strong junior careers in the U.S. and uh, obviously lights is, is is the way to go if you want to get if you want to get a, a decent ride um, or get into IndyCar full time. And of course, uh, you know, Award's been dabbling in IndyCars. This is now his fourth year where he's participated in at least one race. So it's taken a while for him to get a full season going, but uh, but now he's obviously showing that he's ready for it. Um, and it's only, uh, I think it's VK's uh, second second year in Indy cars, right, this year? Yeah, so, second year so, in VK. Yeah, so, I mean, they, um, you know, but they look, both look extremely promising. Um, I mean, VK, uh, the pace, when I watched the GMR race, the pace of Grosjean at the beginning, I, I thought there's no way he could lose this race. I mean, he just raced away at the start and just seemed to be in a class of his own. Um, and I was very surprised uh, that VK was able to get him. And I guess uh, it fundamentally came down to um, better management of the back markers. I mean, Grosjean was, was very unhappy where he's having to use push to pass to, <laughs> to get past back markers. And, and, you know, he said, I spent my F1 career having to get out of the way of people <laughs> because of the blue flag. <laughs> Now, now I'm in the lead of a race. These guys won't get out of the way. In fact, I'm having to race them to get past. So he's got he's got some stuff to learn there. Whereas the the move that VK made on, I think it was Palou and and uh, no, uh, yeah, Palou and, J- and Jimmy Johnson to make sure he wasn't losing time to Grosjean was was epic. Did you see that move? He went down the it went between the two of them. I actually wanted to talk about that a little bit because it, it seemed to me like. Uh, in at least in some small sense that Jimmy Johnson kind of cost his teammate a little bit there because he held him up a little bit before getting onto the short shoot uh, and letting letting uh, Plu by and that gave the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't. He certainly didn't do him any favors, did he? I think he was so surprised to be surrounded by other cars because usually obviously everyone's cleared off in the distance. So I think he was. <laughs> Taken a bit by surprise. <laughs> well, maybe he was just concentrating <laughs> well, I, on not spinning. You, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, one other thing I I wanted to talk to you about. I'm I'm fascinated by this. Is not the ages of these young rookies that we're talking about, but the age gap, the age delta between the oldest and youngest guys out there. Juan Pablo Montoya was out there. He's 46. Jimmy Johnson's not young. I don't know his age exactly. And yet, you know, VK, he's uh, 21. And I think he's not 21 until September. So um, we have 20-year-olds racing uh, people that could very comfortably be their parents. And uh, there's this interesting gap where there's there's a lot of drivers that have crested 40 years old. Scott Dixon, championship leader among them. Will Power, I believe, is over 40. Um, Simon Paginot's right there. Sebastian Bourdais. Um, Juan Pablo Montoya. I hope I didn't say him already. But um, 
uh, Elio Castro Neves. Uh, he's he's uh, older than Juan Pablo, and he's 46. So we have a big age spread in IndyCar, and I don't think that that is a telling sign of who's going to be quick and who's not. And I'm just curious what you think about having an old guard segment in IndyCar and then all these young people racing as well. Well, I would argue that it's been a feature of IndyCar since, certainly since I've been a fan. I mean, I started, I really took an interest in IndyCar in in 93 because Mansell, as the reigning world champion, having been forced out of Williams, came and and did a season in IndyCar. And, you know, his teammate was Mario Andretti. And there's always been a few seats for the really, you know, successful, super experienced driver in IndyCar, which is which is a great feature of the series. I mean, I remember Emerson Fittipaldi raced well into his 50s, I think it was, right? And um, Well, Mario Andretti, almost famously, he was in IndyCar until he was 54. Yeah, and, and he was very competitive. I mean, I remember that Andretti and, and Mansell didn't get on. And in fact, I think uh, I think Nigel kind of ruined his last uh, season uh, in IndyCar. Uh, uh, but, yeah, uh, no, Mario hasn't kept that secret at all. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, Mario was competitive, right? Against the reigning F1 world champion. And uh, okay, yeah, he was, you know, he knew the circuits, he knew the car better than Nigel did, but he was still super competitive. So I have no problem at all. I, in fact, I love, I love the the contest between the older, wiser heads and the and the young guns coming through. I think it's great, and I think we'll see uh, certain tracks where the experience really comes to the fore, and and maybe some of the older hands dominate. Um, and then we'll see other tracks where the young guys are able to, to just be more aggressive, take maybe bigger risks and, and have it pay off for them. So, I, no, I, I think it's a really good aspect of uh, of IndyCar. Yeah, absolutely. And what did you think of the road course race at Indy? Um, I, 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 thought, I thought they put on a good show. It's a funny track, isn't it? I mean, I you always used to like going there for the F1 race. Uh, absolutely. I thought it was huge, yes, fantastic value. And you could sit in the big stands um, by the the F1 course turn one, and you could see them go through what five six corners, um, and you know you, there was always raceability at the track. You could have passing, but it is a little bit Mickey Mouse. It's a shame they've got to have a golf course in the infield, isn't it? Because you could probably create a much better a much better track if you if you took out a couple of those holes. But it's I mean yeah it's not it's. It's not a bad circuit, and I must admit I do prefer having um, having a race in the month of May rather than just having you know perpetual testing. Of, uh, most of which those times are irrelevant by the time you get to the end of the month anyway. So I think it's a good move. I have no problem with it. I, I, I think there are better tracks, honestly. I mean, I'd, I'd cite say Road America or um, Laguna Seca, like we were talking about a, a couple of pods ago. Um, but it's it's certainly not it's not a uh, disservice to the great in, in uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway name, is it? I mean, it's it's good enough, I think. I, I think you hit the most critical point: is it's given IndyCar a way to keep the quote unquote month of May alive um, in a way that sticks with modern times. You know, the month of May was a big deal back in the day because there was a lot of real world testing that had to be done and it was significant in the sense that 
there were a lot of different designs being tested, a lot of novel approaches to how to build a race car, different powertrains, all these types of things. And a lot of testing was going on that was incredibly interesting to see whether this stuff actually worked or not. And as IndyCar became closer to a spec series and as reliability of race cars in the general sense vastly improved, uh, partially because it had to because of just, you know, unsustainable costs of development otherwise, and we'd have, you know, 80,000 horsepower rocket ships, right? This is a way to kind of help keep the month of May alive in modern times. And for that part of it, I respect. I completely with you. I'm completely with you. Is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course better than mid-Ohio? God, no, not even close. Not even close. But is it better than, you know, watching more testing or just letting or having the month away just completely fade into history books? Yes, absolutely. And I think the upside to the track layout is um, we can make jokes about the fact that there's golf course holes inside the speedway. There's only like three or four holes. The rest of it is outside of the track, to be fair. But um, there's that. And because there is such as functionality, the speedway um, coming out of four and a big chunk of the main straight of the speedway is used and there's pretty reasonable, um, uh, you know, short shoot in the middle of the track, there's good passing opportunity. So it is, in just a fundamental sense, there's good passing opportunities and it's a racetrack where it's more comfortable to race closely with other, each other than others. So that part of it does bring the entertainment potential up. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, I, I did find it interesting, sort of, you know, who who dominated the race or, or the, you know, the teams that, that were very successful there with, as we've talked about, Ed Carpenter and Dale Coyne being one, two. And, and Dixon was way down in in ninth place in that race, although his teammate did get the, did get the last podium spot. So it looks like, uh, you know, the Ganassi, Pence, Gandretti teams um, maybe. Uh, have some real competition on some of the the road courses this year, which will certainly liven up the championship, and I think will be uh, will keep it more competitive amongst more drivers for longer, which which is only good for us uh, sort of impartial fans. You mentioned uh, Mid Ohio and its different surfaces, and uh, I just brought up Mid Ohio with uh, comparing it as a road course versus uh, IndyCar. Well, there was a race at Mid Ohio, the IMSA race. Uh, was there uh, this weekend. Uh, it was actually the day after the Indy car race was on Saturday. The um, IMSA race was on Sunday. And it was an Acura. It was Wayne Taylor racing with Ricky Taylor and uh, Felipe Albuquerque uh, taking the win at that road course uh, for the DPI cars. Uh, LMP3, I don't really much care. And it was a BMW M6 with uh, Turner Motorsport with Bill Auberlin and Robbie Folly um, winning in GTD class. GTLM did not race at uh, Mid-Ohio, and uh, nor did the LMP2s. So it was DPI, LMP3, and GTD classes at that event. And I was actually there. It was the first racetrack that I went to since uh, the 2020 24 Hours of Daytona. I was uh, a guest of... You'll never believe it. I was a guest of <laughs> Honda. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> um, and more specifically, I I was a guest of Acura, but uh, we know who owns who. And um, while I was there, 
I had a chance to spend some time with Mr. Castroneves, Elio Castroneves. He's a long, long time Penske driver. He was an IMSA DPI champion last year, and he's won just countless numbers of IndyCar races, and he is IndyCar bound. His first race of the season will be the Indianapolis 500, and he's got, that's going to be the first of six races that he competes in with Michael Shank Racing. And he and I uh, had a chance to talk for a few minutes, and here it is. Elio Castroneves, always great to talk with you, especially mid-May when we know that you're going to be IndyCar bound soon. So you've been racing for a long time, but this is actually the first time in more than 20 years that you're not racing for Team Penske. What's that like to be in racing but not with Team Penske? Yeah, no question. Uh, when you spend that long, uh, long of a time in one team, you create, uh, first of all, great friends, great uh, friendship uh, among, become part of your your family, and uh, and and I have to thank them for all that they did. You know, molding me from 2000 until last year. Which is great. It's great to organ, uh, working with an amazing organization. And, but like everything in life, there is a beginning, middle, and end. So we came to an end um, with winning the championship for Akra Team Penske, which was phenomenal. So it was a great way to do it. And, um, but now, you know, I love so much racing. I want to keep it going. I still feel that I have a lot to give to the motor racing uh, world. And um, joining uh, Meyer Shank Racing, it was a great fit because um, it's a young team, an uh, incredible amount of good people. Mike is a passion guy as well, love racing. So why not join forces and uh, hopefully I can be that, that guy to help them to go to the ne- next level, especially with the experience that I create. So I'm lo- really looking forward to, uh, to be with the teammate Jack Harvey, which has been showing an, inc- an incredible amount of speed, and um, I can't wait to, uh, to be on the race car. It's a young but quickly growing team, and unlike what you've done with Penske and the Indian 500 the last few years, you're running the next six races. So you're going to be back at road courses again and doing like an actual schedule with IndyCar. How exciting is that part of it? Yeah, it's always great to be behind the wheel and having six more races uh, for this year instead of one like I was doing with Penske the last three years. So it's fantastic. Uh, great opportunity. Places like Nashville, the GP, uh, uh, Indy GP, Long Beach, uh, Portland, that I, that I love the place. Laguna Seca is another one. So going to those places, uh, I can't just wait to, uh, to be able to uh, share uh, the, this possibility of, uh, you know, potential be, be going fast and be back on the windy car race. It's great. I know... Love to be more races, but I'll take that. I'll take that as an opportunity for for us to grow, and who knows when, what can happen next year. Speaking of that, you know, we're looking, we're in 2021 now. You've got this great opportunity. Do you see um, that opportunity expanding in 2022? Are you looking more at sports cars, or are you just whatever comes your way? You know, I've been racing sport cars the last three years. I think it's a waste uh, not take advantage of uh, what I learned those years and and start you know exploring that so I am looking for all the options whatever is, uh, is available and um, and whatever it takes you know I, I don't want to be greedy but I would love to take it all 
<laughs> but that's my what I that's because I'm a passion guy yeah, and I would yeah. love to be racing and everything else but whatever opportunity brought me brings me I'll take it yeah absolutely now is there is there something a little bit special about not only going back to IndyCar but going back to Laguna Seca that's a really special track here in the US very dynamic very unique corners is that one that you're looking for? Not maybe not as much the 500, but it's one of the top top priorities of this year. Yeah, we we won in a few years. A few years. We won a long time ago uh, in Laguna Seca twice. It was a number of years. I uh, know a number of years. Thank you for correcting me on that. Love the place. Um, got the pole position there. It was. It, I still love the place. You know, uh, with the sports car, we we're able to win last year as well with the help of our teammates. So it was. It's. It's all about. Going to places that you have fun, and Laguna is no question one of them. As you said, it's a part of a great America racetracks, and um, for me, it would be great. Um, so I'm excited to be there too, and can't wait. A couple years ago, we were talking. You told me, you know, I want to race. I want to keep racing until I'm 50. How's that feeling? Are you feeling good about that number still? I feel great. <clears throat> I feel awesome about that. I should say you told me that number before the pandemic. I know, I know, yes, and it's all it's all perspective, and if I can fulfill that, it would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, as always, I have to say this every time I meet my mom. Loves you. Thank you. Dancing with the stars completely changed her whole perspective on things, and I think what is the most true of all the things you said is that your passion is so fulfilling and uh, contagious and it's always great being around you Elio thank you so much uh, thanks for the kind words send my best to your mom <laughs> you. I'm excited to see Castroneves back in IndyCar um, even if it's for a limited number of races uh, and, and in that team given how Jack Harvey's been going this year you've got to say that he's got a he should have a, a reasonable chance um, in the 500 and so uh, you know who knows you might see him climbing fences before too long it would be lovely to see, and of course there would be some poetic justice if he did that with Michael Shank Racing uh, after so many attempts with uh, Penske and these like you know these one-off races he was doing. So he was full-time with the Penske Acura uh, DPI car in IMSA Racing, and then that ended at the end of last year, and the way things worked out, he ended up not doing full-time IMSA racing this year, but he's developed this part-time schedule with uh, Michael Shank Racing, and sounds like there is potential for him to be uh, in more races next year, not fewer, um, if if this year goes well. And he's also taking the role of almost like mentor slash driver coach for Jack Harvey as well. So it's it's a fascinating role. I mean, he's been in racing, he's been in IndyCar racing with Penske since the year 2000 and uh you know great guy tons of energy a lot of fun and it was always it's always great to speak with him so before we go we've got um we've got some racing coming up uh this coming weekend is the crown jewel or the crown in the cap or the jewel in the cap of the crown of the cap it's the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, I'm very excited for this coming weekend, and I practice starts on Thursday, so we're just a couple days away from that. I have a love-hate relationship with Monaco. It's a place I'd love to go and, and watch F1, and the spectacle of F1 cars around Monaco is always astonishing. 
but the race is always dull. So I do have a bit of a love-hate, sort of like 40 or 50 laps in. <laughs> You're always thinking, my God, can we have any sort of action on the track, please? But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a key, key race. Obviously, as you said, some think it's the pinnacle of the F1 season. I'm not entirely convinced, but it is always... Uh, it always brings up a few interesting talking points. There's no doubt about that. Like, you know, but Michael it's a Schumacher. jewel in the cap. It's the crown cap. It's the cap of the. It's the cap of the jewel. It's, there's a lot of jewels in caps, in crowns. <laughs> I mean, we've had some epic laps. Senna's pole lap in '88 with oh, Michael yeah, Schumacher. Just... Michael Absolutely. Schumacher parking it after getting pole position. <laughs> yeah, Nico yes. Rosberg causing yellows after getting pole position. There's always something going on there. So, uh, Well, Nico Rosberg we... was just getting so frustrated with how much faster he was than everybody else mm. that mm-hmm. it, it you know, just kind of threw him off. You know, When you're yeah. that good, it can be hard sometimes. No, it's one of those great tricks that he used to win the championship in 16. One was uh, <laughs> building Lewis's engine for him. That was one of the tricks. Uh, and uh, yeah. And just uh, any illegal underhand methods he could he could find. That was one of them. Well, I I, I I'm we've listen. The, the month of May, the month of May is going to be wonderful, wonderful racing. So first of all, I just have to say uh, one more time, thank you again so much to Elio Castroneves. I always appreciate sitting down with him, talking with him. He now he reluctantly, whether he's happy about it or not, I don't know, but he now remembers who I am. So uh, <laughs> it, it, it's just always, it's always good to be able to chat with him. He's always got so much energy. He has such a positive outlook on racing on life. So I definitely wish him the best of luck for the upcoming Indianapolis 500. So that's what we've got. We've got the Monaco Grand Prix and then the following weekend, the Indianapolis 500, which is just so fantastic that they're two separate weekends and we can focus on each event, which is wonderful. And then the weekend after that is... Uh, IndyCar coming to Detroit. So it's just, there's just a lot of great racing coming our way, and I'm, I'm super excited for it. But there's one thing to talk about that has very, very little to do with any kind of racing, and that is my latest YouTube video. I was recently given the chance to drive a Subaru Outback Wilderness, which is a Subaru Outback station wagon, which is technically, at least as far as the government's concerned, an SUV. And uh, Subaru has no problem with that nomenclature. But it has nine and a half inches of ground clearance. It has um, more wheel travel. And um, and it has actual decent, respectable off-road capability considering that it has a long wheelbase and a station wagon body. And it's also, you know, unibody construction, not body on frame. has a CVT transmission, you know, not a bunch of lockers and old school, um, you know, diffs hanging out. It's It's... It's an interesting car, and that's my video. And I actually take it on an off-road course as part of the video. And so that'll be linked in the description. Of course, it's on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash Robin Warner. Chris, did, did you watch? I'm sure you've watched it several times, right? Just your eyes glued to the screen, right? I did take a glance. Very nice video, Robin. Well done. It's uh, It doesn't look entirely Rubicon capable, but uh, not bad for a, for a station wagon. <laughs> no, it's it's certainly not Rubicon. It's not Moab. You know, it might it. It's a lot of things that it's not. I would probably steer clear of any patches of rocks. With uh, I'd take follow that with a lot of trepidation. But as if you do see the video, I follow steep dirt roads with a fair amount of trepidation. Uh, 
pavement is quickly becoming one of my favorite inventions of all time. So, But I do want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our pod, uh, podcasts. It's their podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page. You're on Facebook? Yeah, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash fwcars. Oh, Chris, it's just a lovely chat with you, whether it's IndyCar, Formula One, or even gin. Thank you again. (laughs) Thank you, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.